Almighty God, we give you thanks for your holy word and for the privilege of studying it together. And now as I stand before these, your people, I pray that this would be your message and not my own through the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. At this point, Paul is the enemy. The Jewish leaders are tired of him. They are ready to have him put away. As a matter of fact, they've even tried to kill him now. Why? Well, many considered him to be a traitor. Before, he was one of them. He was one of the leaders that was persecuting the church. He was one of the leaders that was trying to squelch out this group known as the way. The group known as the church. These people known as Christians. Before he had persecuted them, before he had even executed them, and now somehow, some way, our biggest weapon, our greatest tool, has become a Christian himself. And not only that, he's a preacher. He's teaching. He's an apostle. He's proclaiming Christ wherever he goes. This has got to stop. And they've tried their best to put him away. And there were various hearings and trials and opportunities that remind us a lot of, of, of the trials of Jesus with trying to find some charge, some way of, uh, of making an accusation that might stick and, and put an end to this. And finally, after several chapters that you can read leading up to verse 26, chapter 26, Paul then goes, I appeal to the emperor. I appeal to Caesar. And having been a Roman citizen, Paul had the right. And so he appeals now to Caesar and, 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 and the new governor Festus says, fine, to Caesar. To Rome you go. Well, there was a little problem for Festus and that is if you appealed to Caesar, the governor of the land had to provide the accusation, had to provide the charges. I mean, not just everybody could appeal to Caesar. I mean, all Caesar would do would be dealing with, with little things. So if you appealed to Caesar, the governor of the region had to be the one to consolidate the accusation to present the case to Caesar himself. So now Festus does have this problem, and Festus is the new governor, brand new governor uh, of the region of Palestine, brand new governor right there in, in, in Caesarea. So he's trying to figure out how do I do this? I mean, it, it seemed like to him an argument, just a religious argument between two different groups of people about God raising some guy from the dead. But he wanted to please the Jewish leaders. I mean, after all, he is a governor. And the more we can keep peace, the easier my job will be. And at the same time, he has to have valid charges to go to Caesar. Well, it just so happened that since he was new as a governor, the king, King Agrippa II, came to Caesarea to, to welcome Festus and, and, and to greet him as the new governor. So now, now the king is in town. Now when you hear king, you need to hear this, and that is that the Roman Empire is vast at this time. And, and what the Roman emperor, Caesar, would often allow is in, in various regions, he would allow the king to stay in place, but the king was really like a puppet king. They really answered to Caesar, but, but they would be in place to kind of keep things in control. Herod was one of those puppet-type kings, and, and now you have Agrippa that's there. And, and so he shows up, and, and, and he's greeting Festus, 
And Festus sees it as an opportunity. Why? I need your help. I, glad you're here because I want to run something by you. I mean, I got this crazy case, and I'm not really sure exactly how to deal with it. I mean, I got all these Jewish leaders that are really upset with this guy by the name of Paul. I mean, they want the guy dead. They want to kill the guy. They, they're looking for the death penalty, but for the life of me, when I try to look at the case, I really don't see what the argument is. And I mean, it just appears to be a, a religious argument that they're going at because they both tend to believe, they say they believe the same thing, but then one of them's going, yeah, but God raised somebody from the dead. I mean, what would you do? And he describes the whole thing of Paul, and, and King Agrippa goes, I am intrigued. I'd love to hear this story myself. And so they set up a hearing. It's not the trial. That's important that you know. It's not the trial. Because the trial is going to be with Caesar. He's already appealed. But King Agrippa just wants to be able to hear this for himself. And Paul knows that this is not the real thing. So, so all of a sudden this great hearing is called. You can picture the scene. The great room. Tapestries flowing as some scholars share. And Soldiers in their best uniform, all standing guard because you've got some political dignitaries here. Governor comes in, Governor Festus, the new governor, he's going to be wearing scarlet. Scarlet was the color for the governor. I mean, it, it showed that he was a person of power. And, and so when they would have their political events or their formal events, some official occasion, the governor would show up wearing his scarlet, and so people would know, oh, there's the governor. You can see the go that's the governor over there. You see, he's wearing scarlet because that's the governor. And then all of a sudden, there would be the trumpet fair, and, and, and in would come the king, and the king's wearing purple because purple's the color of royalty. And so anytime you had a formal event, the king would be in purple so that you could look at people. It's kind of like the uniform. You could glance over and know there's the king, there's a the governor, because you can tell by the way they're dressed who's wearing what and, and, and what level they are. And, and so here's the king in purple. Oh, we're, we're infatuated with royalty, aren't we? I mean, it just amazes us with royalty to watch. Even though we don't have royalty, we're amazed with other people's royalty then. I mean, we, we, we can have a prince get married, and, and I can't come into work today. <laughs> Sick. It's a royal wedding. I got the wedding flu. You know, I'm going to be... You know, we, we can watch one of the royals have a baby. We've got to check this thing out. Is it any prettier than our babies? I mean, we just need to see. No, I'm kidding. I mean, I, we have a good time with the royals. But you can imagine the dignitaries there and the people there wanting to see the king. Oh, there's the king. Here comes it. Look, there's Agrippa. There he is. There he is. Everybody's paying attention. And then the king's sister Bernice had come as well. And so she comes in. And you know she's wearing her gown and, and people are going, wonder who designed that? And, and they're all watching and, and paying attention as she comes in. And there's all the fanfare with, with the Roman dignitaries and then the Jewish leaders and and then there's this common guy. Paul was a tent maker. He earned his living with his hands. Very educated, brilliant man, but a tent maker, ordinary guy. But when Paul comes in, he comes in with chains. He's a prisoner. Just imagine the scene. It's kind of like going to a courtroom when they bring in the defendant, and the defendant comes in with chains. I mean, Paul, what did he do? Why did he need chains? It's not like he, like he was going to hurt somebody. He was proclaiming Jesus, but we chained him up. He's all chained. He's a prisoner. Once everybody's in place, the king motions to Paul and says, you can speak. So Paul stands up and with his hands in chains, Luke says that he raised his arms to speak because the, the gesture of a speaker would be to raise out the arms and, 
and his arms with the chains hanging down are, are raised, and he begins to share. And Paul's a master of rhetoric. He was a learned man, and, and so he begins by going, King Agrippa, I am so honored that I have the privilege of sharing this with you. Of all the people, I'm glad it's you. I mean, I think he's doing this for a couple of reasons. I mean, one is, is, is when you're sharing in a hearing, one of the best things you could do would be to, to pay homage or tribute to the people that are listening to you and to be able to go, I am, I am so glad it's you. I mean, whew, I know you're going to get it. And one of the reasons I think that he's honored is because Agrippa is a Jew. He is a Jew. This king is a Jewish king. Puppet of Rome, yes, but he does understand he knows the law. He knows the Old Testament. Maybe there's a chance because Festus doesn't get it. Maybe you'll get it. I'm glad it's you. And then he goes on to say, you, you see, King, I wasn't always a follower of Jesus. I didn't always live this way. Previously, I opposed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with all my might. And, and I was a Pharisee. I grew up in a home that taught me the Scriptures. I learned the first five books of the Bible. I know the law of Moses. I know the prophets. I know what they mean. I'm a Pharisee. I vowed, I vowed that I would dot every I. I would cross every T. I would live exactly the way that the law said to live. I know the law, and, and, and when this church started, and this movement called The Way started, in this message of Jesus of Nazareth, I did my best to put an end to it. I had the authority of the chief priest, and, and so as a result, I would go and I would drag people to Jerusalem, drag them into jail, and, and, and when it came time that, that we would vote what would be the sentence, I voted for execution. I was part of the execution. I went to the synagogues. I went to their meeting places. I, I, I drug these people away. If I could not get them to renounce their faith, I brought them to jail. I was unmerciful in my, my zeal and my passion for what I believed. But King, one day I was on the road to Damascus. This incredible bright, bright light blinded me. It was, it was unlike anything I'd ever seen before to the point that I had to drop to my knees. And, and when I did, O King, I heard a voice from heaven. And that voice said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, and I looked up and I cried, Who are you, Lord? And then I heard a voice. It said, I'm Jesus. I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. And notice that, that Paul about four times in Acts shares his testimony and his story, but here he doesn't talk about, I was blind for three days, Annas came, Ananias. He doesn't tell any of those stories. He goes, and it was there that I was called. Jesus then called on me to proclaim his word, to offer the forgiveness of sins. And I love the way in verse 19 Eugene Peterson paraphrases the scripture in the message when he said, what could I do, King Agrippa? I couldn't just walk away from a vision like that. What could I do? I became an obedient believer right on the spot. 
And that's why then the Jews grabbed me out of the temple because I began to proclaim this, this Jesus. So they pulled me away just like I had pulled others and they tried to kill me, but God protected me. And, and, and I'm telling you, King, I, I've not said anything or done anything that's not backed up by Moses and the prophets, the law and the prophets. You know that everything I'm saying is true, that, that the Scripture said that the Messiah would come, He would suffer, He would die, and God would raise Him. And this is Jesus. King, you know this. Festus interrupts. He goes, he can't take it anymore. He goes, I, Paul, Paul, you've lost your mind. Too much learning is driving you absolutely insane. You're a nut. And, and, and Paul goes, but Festus, I haven't lost my mind. And, and I'm, I'm only proclaiming what the king already knows. King. And then he pulls back. Because remember, it's important you remember the king's Jewish. King, you know. You know this. You know the story. And you know who I am. Because all the things I was doing, it wasn't in secret. It wasn't around the corner. You heard of me. You know who I am. And then Paul asked, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? Do you believe the scripture? And before the king can answer, Paul follows up, I know you do. I know you do. So the king looks at him and said, are you so quickly persuading me to be a Christian? And Paul then responds, and here's his motive. Verse 29, whether quickly or not, I pray to God that not only you, but also all who are listening to me today, and just imagine with his chained arms pointing to the crowd, with all who are listening to me today, to become such as I am, yet without these chains, but to have the faith that I have. Now, we don't know whether Agrippa actually became a follower of Christ. We're not really sure. Some people argue that he did. Other scholars go, they thought that, that King Agrippa might have been being a little sarcastic. You really think that you're going to persuade me so quickly to become a Christian? I mean, we're not really sure. But verse 30, as we wrap up, concludes this way. Luke says, Then the king got up, and with him the governor and Bernice, and those who were seated with them. And as they were leaving, they said to one another, This man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa the king said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to the emperor. You see, Paul just saw an opportunity to give his testimony. He knew. I'm appealing to the emperor, so I'm going to Caesar. But Paul realized that just for a moment, he had in his presence the king, the governor, the sister of the king, the dignitaries, Roman dignitaries, Jewish leaders, and all the spectators wanting to see what was about to happen. And he took the opportunity to go, let me tell you what God has done for me. He gave his testimony. Testimony is simply sharing what God is doing in our lives. And, and that's what Paul did is he goes, I want to tell you what God has done for me. I'll leave it to you to go from there. In my home church, we always had revivals when I was growing up. They still do. As a matter of fact, on the third Sunday in July, they have what's known as homecoming. So typically you invite back a former preacher or uh, somebody that grew up in the church like this past year. I went back and did homecomings. First time I'd been there in 
10, 11, 12 years or so, and uh, went back and, and preached homecoming. And then after the homecoming service, you have this huge lunch. I mean, more food than you can imagine. Country people know how to cook. And I love going home because they know how to cook. And our green beans have fat back in them. I mean, we know how to cook. And, and so you eat all this stuff, and then you come back for revival that night. Revival starts on the Sunday night after homecoming, and, and it used to go through Friday, but then we're Methodists, and we can only tolerate so much, so they pulled it back to Wednesday. And, and so now, you know, they have revival for a while, and, and it, it's a great time. And when I was growing up, one of the things I loved about revival is the preacher would go, all right, I'll, I'll just kind of open this up for testimony. Anybody like to share, share something that God is doing in your life? And sometimes people would share. Sometimes it would be short. Sometimes it would be a little bit longer and different people would share. Well, Nancy and I had the privilege this past week to go back to a church that we had served several years ago between 95 and 2001 in Oak Ridge, North Carolina, just above the Greensboro Airport. And so we went back there because they were having the revival and they had invited different former pastors to come each night. And so they had invited us to come and preach on Tuesday night and uh, the, the church had a good crowd there, and uh, Andy Lambert is the pastor there who's a friend and colleague and a nut. And I can say that knowing this is going to go on the web and that it's okay because it's validated. He's a nut, but a very passionate, great guy and great pastor for Jesus Christ. And so he was leading the revival as the pastor there, and, and he just shared. You know, each night we've given an opportunity for people to share some testimonies, so would somebody like to tell something God's doing in their life? And some people said, I want to thank God for, and they would name something I'd like to say thank you to God for. And, you know, I'd just like to mention this, or I'd mention that. And some were short, some were longer. And, and then all of a sudden, this young lady stood up. And she said, I'd like to, to share something. She was sitting up near the front so everybody could kind of see her. And she turned around, and she was a, a young lady, young mother, of an infant child that's on a ventilator. At home on a ventilator. And, and so she was, she was sharing her story, and she just shared that, you know, when she heard that the, the hurricane was coming, she said, I, I just I wanted to be a good mother. I was determined I would be a good mother, and I wanted to be prepared. And, and so I went early, before the crowds. Before, I went early, and, and I made sure we had water, and we had formula, and we had diapers, and, we had, and she just named off all the preparations that she had gone through. And she goes, because I wanted us to be prepared. I wanted to be ready when the storm came that we would be ready and my family would be okay. And, and she said, and then just a day or two before, somebody said, but what about the ventilator? And she goes, what if the power goes off? And this young mother said, but we're okay. The ventilator has an eight-hour battery backup on it, so we're good. If the power goes off, it's got this great battery backup system. Until the person said, but what if the power's off for more than eight hours? And she said that all of a sudden... This gut-wrenching panic came over her. Oh my. What if the power was off more than eight hours? My baby can't breathe. 
And, and so they began to make some phone calls. They called her family, his family, everybody they could talk to. Everybody was calling around trying to find every store that they could possibly talk to to find a generator. Do you know how hard a generator is to find when a hurricane's coming into town? They, they couldn't find a generator. A group of people had got together, some engineering types, and created an inverter system and batteries and this and that and the other that we might be able to make this thing work for a while. If worse comes to worse, you know, da 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 and, and they were trying to find their way around, and she said, and then just like the night or so before, she goes, we got, we got this phone call. And a family in the church shared that they had been planning for a while, but over the summer decided to go ahead and install a whole house generator in their home and said, so now we've got this little portable generator in our garage that we don't use and it's hardly been used and God just kind of laid it on our hearts to reach out to you. And her eyes watering, she shared that now her baby could breathe if the power went off. And she thanked God and that faith community for being there with her. You know, a testimony is that. It's simply sharing what God is doing in your life right now. Sometimes we have a tendency to read the Bible and look back at, remember when God used to do things? Well, God still does things, and our testimonies are reminders that God is still at work today, among us today, if we're paying attention today. And it's something that I really want to encourage our, our Sunday school class leaders, our life group leaders, our Bible study leaders, our support group leaders, our youth leaders, and, and all groups that meet in our life of our churches to periodically just pause and go, so where have you seen God at work? Or does somebody have a testimony or something you just want to share what God is doing? And, and in our staff meetings, we talk about God moments. You know, where have you seen a God moment? You know, where, is, where have you seen God at work somewhere? And I think it's important for a variety of reasons. I mean, one is, is that it reminds us to give thanks to God because sometimes we can get so caught up in our lives that we fail to recognize what God is doing all around us and so we, we fail then to go, thank you God for what you're doing. So sometimes sharing our testimony reminds us to give thanks to God that this is a God thing. And sometimes when you share your testimony and I hear what God is doing in your life, it reminds me to take a look at my life and see where God is at work in my life as well. So I can see what God is doing through you, which will help me see what God is doing through me. I think that's important. And the reason I say for our class leaders, life group leaders, etc., to share is, is the other thing is I think if, if we can get used to sharing our testimony and our story among people where it's safe, other believers other Christians, then it makes it easier when we're outside the doors to be able to share our story, to be able to share our testimony, to be able to share what God is doing. Paul saw this is an opportunity for me to proclaim Jesus Christ. And he did. This is his last major speech and sharing in Acts. George Morris and Eddie Fox in their book Faith Sharing said, our task is to spread the the news of God's story and the light of our own particular stories with the hope that persons will respond in faith. But our task is to share God's story in light of our particular stories. I mean, 
People sometimes think, I, I can't share so much because I, I don't know the Bible that well. Share what God is doing in your life. Our task is to share God's story in light of our particular stories so that people might respond in faith. I mean, God puts us in an environment every day where we can share our faith. Every day we have the opportunity to share our faith. Now, that doesn't mean that every day we have to share the whole story. It began, it was a Wednesday morning. It was summertime, June 24th, actually, 1964, when the doctor received into his arms a newborn baby boy, placed him in his mother's arms for the first time. That child would grow up to become a pastor someday. And you know, you don't have to tell everything. I mean, you don't have to tell, I was raised on cloth divers. I was raised on pampers. I was a Huggies baby. I mean, you don't have to get into all the details, but just share the story of where is God at work in your lives. The opportunity to share so that, that others can see Christ. Sometimes we think that that proclaiming the gospel is something for the clergy. Morris and Fox go on and say, we must overcome the heresy which teaches that the task of ministry belongs only to the professional worker in the church. Nothing is more crippling to the work of Christ. The idea that we hire a ministry to do our ministry for us is totally incompatible with what the Scripture teaches. All of us are called into ministry, and all of us have a, have a testimony and a witness of, of something that God is doing in our lives. And it can be a subtle witness or it can be an elaborate witness, but we have a witness. How do we share Christ with others? With the hurricane coming, I wanted to make sure we had plenty of gas, and Nancy and I have been talking you know, regularly over the last week, and, and, and so you know, made sure that, that we had, you know, the vehicles were filled up with gas. Nancy's car was full of gas. We're going to park it in the garage. We're not moving it because now we've got the full vehicle. You know, that's the emergency vehicle. Something goes on. We, we know we got one full of gas. We had 15 gallons of gas in the garage. Um, she went and, and made sure that the gas cans that we had in the garage, when I was down here, she went up, made sure that we had gas cans in the garage so that if anything happened, you know, we're good to go there. And every time my car would get down to a half a tank, I'd pull in and fill it back up. So I'm one of the people that causes us to run out of gas because I made sure that I had plenty of gas. I mean, I know the story, so go ahead. Uh, you know, but, but, you know, I just wanted to make sure that if something happened, I could be there for you. you know, I mean, we... We just want to be able to know that we can respond and that we can go and that we'll be okay and that we have whatever we need. And, and, and so the other day I had stopped to get some gas and, and right nearby there was a hotel and looked across and there were all kinds of power trucks out there and people standing around and, and I knew they're ready. The crews were ready that when it was safe enough to go, the power crews were ready to get back into action and try to restore power as quickly as possible. For those who were without. We ran some errands, went to grab something to eat, came out, looked over. There was a collection of power trucks ready. The crews were standing there talking to each other, just ready. Whenever we get the word, whenever we get dispatched, we're gone. We will try to restore power to the people as quickly as we can. Mother Teresa, whom you know I love to read about and, and, and to share. Mother Teresa shares this. She said, the wire is you and me. The current is God. And we have the power to let the current pass through us to use us and to produce the light of the world 
Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? We're the power crew. Jesus, Mother Teresa said, the wire is you and me. The current is God. We have the power to let the current pass through us to use us and to produce the light of the world. Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? God, we all have a testimony. Paul saw the great opportunity. I have a group of people together and it gives me an opportunity to share what God is doing in my life. And he proclaimed Jesus Christ. Every one of us have the opportunity to proclaim you every day in some way. It, it doesn't have to be some overbearing way, some in-your-face way. But a simple sharing, let me share with you what God means to me, what God is doing in my life, what God through Jesus Christ has done in my life. And God, we pray that as Mother Teresa shares, that we would be the wire and that you would be the current and that you would use us to provide the light of the world, Jesus Christ. May we be your church, your people, your conduit, now and forever. In the name of Jesus, who is the Christ, our Savior, our Lord, and who is at work daily in our lives. Amen.